0: topic today is how to enjoy the good life. I want to tell you a story of what happened recently in a home for the aged, for senior citizens. They were paying tribute to people who had lived for a very long time, or at least apparently had, and they were giving prizes. The governor of California, I understand, was there, Pete Wilson, and One man was there, he was a little wrinkled, he was a little bent, a little aged. And they said, uh, tell us the secret of your longevity. He said, I've been a vegetarian all my life. He said, I haven't smoked, I haven't drunk, I've jogged every day, I've owned a Nordic track. And they said, how old are you? He said, I'm 105. They said, wonderful, that's absolutely wonderful, said the governor. Then there was a little silver-haired old lady. Her skin almost reminded one of peaches and cream, even at that stage. They said, what is the secret of your life? She said, cold showers every day, vegetarian, Prettykin diet before Prettykin. low-fat, I swim, They said, How old are you, dear? She said, I'm 107. They said, Wonderful. Praise God. And here is your award. And then there was a man who was obviously older than them all. He was bent. He was wrinkled. He had no teeth. His hair, what was left of it, was as white as the snow. His hands were shaking. They helped him onto the stage. He came like this. They said, what is the secret of your life? He said, wine, women, and song. (laughs) He said, I have smoked five packs a day. He said, I have gambled. He said, I uh, am a chronic worrier. He said, I have lived the fast life. They said, sir, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. And how old are you? (laughs) 32. There's a text in the Bible that says you get what you give. I want you to take your Bible and turn over here to the book of Galatians, chapter 6 and verse 7. Did you like that one, folks? Mm-hmm. That is the fourth joke I've told in this church eight years. Galatians, chapter 6 and verse 7. Beverly almost stole it from me, but I hung on to it. Galatians, chapter 6 and verse 7. The Bible says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. There was a man in prison, one of the inmates, and he was placed in the department where they were sewing clothes for other prisoners. A friend came and saw him and said, how do you like the sewing? He said, I don't mind the sewing. What I dislike is the reaping. Think about it. (laughs) He was sowing, but he said, I don't mind the sowing. What I dislike is the reaping. And every person, whether he's in prison or whether he walks the streets or whether here in church, is sowing and reaping. If we sow, I know a little bit about farming, not a lot, but I know this. If you sow wheat, you get wheat if you sow corn you don't get wheat you get corn if you sow love you get love if you sow hate you get hate and if you sow life you get life if you keep the eternal laws of god you're going to live the good life i want you to come to the words of jesus in john chapter 10 and verse 10 dear hearts John chapter 10 and verse 10, where Jesus talks about his ministry. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And today I want to talk to you about the full life. I want to tell you today how you can be happier than you thought possible. I want you to notice right now the blackboard. I did a little bit of blackboard work before the service started today. And this river here, as you can see, is the river of life that contains the unlimited power of God the creator. But in this river of life, there is a dam of damnation there is a dam of doom it is a dam of death and it stops the river of life and many of us have dams like these in our lives to a greater or a lesser degree I want you to notice some of the building blocks that you and I place there in that river this dam There is one which is called anger. There is another building block which is unresolved, unnecessary sorrow. This is a dreadful one. It causes all sorts of diseases, hate and selfishness. And then there is fear which is closely allied to worry then there is grief that seems to have no solving. Grief and guilt and frustration and unforgiving spirit and depression. And while the river of life, my friend, is full to the banks, only a little bit of the water of life can get over the dam and so the person who has these problems in his life has very very little joy and very little life today I want to tell you how you can break down the dam and how you can release the power of God in your life and remember as abraham lincoln said we are generally as happy as we choose to be i'm going to tell you today and show you today how god's word and god's promises can make you into a new you and how you can know by experience the power of god in your life let's talk for a little while About anger would you please come over here with me to the book of Ephesians over here to the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25 to 27 my beloved friends and all of my friends watching on television I'm glad to have you with me today Ephesians 4 and verse 25 and onwards the Bible says therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Norman Vincent Peale, who made a great impact upon the world and upon American society, in one of his books suggests that people get six by four cards. And they write on the cards the promises of God. And when they have a moment of inactivity that they take out the card and they read the card with the promise of God. He calls these cards thought transformers. I wondered when I went to Russia why so many people were depressed the most depressed society in the world one night when I was speaking to 10,000 people I said I want to see the hands of those who suffer from depression not just the blues but depression I would imagine that out of 10,000 people 9,500 hands were raised even the hands of children that is why millions in Russia In desperation, have turned to vodka. How does a person learn to cope with anger? The first church Beverly and I went to was a church in the outback of Australia in the town of Broken Hill. The poet said, on the outer Baku, where the churches are few, and men of religion are scanty, on a path seldom crossed. Saved by folks that are lost, one McGuinness McGee had a shanty. And we were sent out to this little town like that town in the outback. It is a town that is hundreds and hundreds of miles from any other city. We traveled there on a train that they call the Silver City Comet. It went so very, very fast. And as we left the eastern coast behind, soon we were into the sand dunes like in the Sahara Desert, great sand dunes. And then we would come upon hundreds of miles of spinifex and other little tree, well, there, no, there were no trees, but little bushes that survived the arid conditions of the outback. And in summer, it would get so hot, worse than Texas, 110, 115 degrees and dust storms. Dust storms so intense that the dust would come in everywhere, just seep into the house. I can remember once in the midst of a dust storm, we had a light bulb hanging down over the kitchen table. It was difficult to see the light bulb. It looked like the moon on a cloudy night. Imagine what it was like. Outside with the temperature 110 degrees. And there I met Mr. Pride, Reg Pride, an old engineer who worked on one of the great mines. This was a town where they found silver, lead and zinc and gold. One of the great mines in the world. I've been underground there a a mile underground with the miners. And when I would visit Mr. Pride, he would take me down into his basement, which was under his house, and under his house, down in the rock, even though outside it might be 110 degrees, downstairs, it was about 55, 65 degrees. as cool. You need to put on a jumper or a pullover. It was quite cold. And when I talked to this old man who came to my meetings, he told me of the anger that existed between him, his wife, and his family. His wife said to me, she said, I'm a Methodist, but I don't care what you make him as long as he is more pleasant. (laughs) She said, we're planning, figuring soon on a divorce. They were both very old people. I explained to Mr. Pride, over the best course of a year, the truth of the gospel that the gospel is based upon the doctrine of grace and mercy and forgiveness and the greatest antidote my friend the greatest antidote to the burden of anger is the act of forgiveness i talked to him about john 3:16 how god so loved the world he found it so hard to understand he said it doesn't seem to be right that God will forgive us when we don't deserve it. But I said, this is the very heart of the gospel. This old man gave his life to God. His marriage was saved and his family was reconciled. I left Broken Hill and his wife wrote to me and she said, Reg passed away and the old skeptic died in the basement listening to his record player And he was playing on a hill far away, stood an old rugged cross. The greatest antidote to anger, when you feel angry towards a person, is to extend to them the gift that God has extended towards you. And that is the gift of forgiveness. Closely related to anger is this one, hate and revenge of course we all know the saying don't get mad get even but jesus has a better way i want you to notice the revolutionary teachings of jesus on hate and anger would you please come to matthew 5 and verse 43 matthew chapter 5 and verse 43 where the lord says you've heard that it was said love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be the sons of your father in heaven he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Hate. When you look around this world today, you see so much hate. When you go to the Middle East there is a bitter hatred between the jews and the arabs when you go to northern ireland and they're trying to do something about it now there is a hatred that goes back hundreds of years between the catholics and the protestants they hate each other then if you go to yugoslavia you'll find one of the greatest hate stories in the history of the world between the Croatians and the Serbs that broke out again recently with hundreds of thousands of people murdered, hundreds of thousands of women raped. And as somebody said, what can America do about this when this hatred goes back hundreds and hundreds of years, even a thousand years? And then you come to this country and you'll find that in some areas There is a hatred between the black man and the white man. And in some parts of Los Angeles, a hatred between the black man and the Asian man. And I ask the question today, what in the name of God can be done to break this circle of hatred? Jesus tells us how to do it. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you. Jesus said, love them as I love you and pray for them. There is a man who is like a hero in my life. I've known him for many years. I guess I admire him just about more than anybody else. He has suffered more than any person. I won't mention his name so he's not embarrassed. He doesn't live here. He has suffered more than any person I know. He has suffered particularly at the hands of church people. He has been fearfully slandered. He has been mistreated. He has been fired from his position. A campaign of hatred was waged against him for years. I know him as you know him. He is a man of the most outstanding integrity that I know anywhere in the world. He is a holy man of God. And recently, I talked to him about some of the awful experiences and some of the evil that the most righteous people had done to him. And I was amazed because he could only say kind things about those who had endeavored to destroy him. He never said one single word of criticism, not one word. And when I mentioned some of his betrayers, he said, but they're good men, John. Understand, they're misled, but they're good men. And I love them. That is, my friend, the miracle of the love of God. I was reading one of his books last night late, and I came upon this prayer that he quotes, this medieval prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me show love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. These teachings, of course, are not merely the teachings of a man. They're the essence of the teachings of Jesus Christ. The world's greatest revolutionary who taught us to love. Then there's grief. There are many more here. We're not going to exhaust this awful dam of doom today. But there's grief and despair. Last Monday, uh, Shondor and some other members of my team were asked to go to the hospital because a lady who once followed the Lord was in that hospital and she was dying of cirrhosis of the liver. Hadn't been to church for a long time. She didn't have a pastor, so they asked me to come. Shondor Caracas, who is the elder of our church, the first elder of our church, is related to that lady, who'd given up on God, apparently. And he went there before I got there and ministered to her from the scriptures and told her the old, old story. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish. And there came a ray of light in her heart for many many years she had been brought up in the church but she'd given up on it and maybe the church had given up on her when I went on Monday her blood pressure had dropped to 70 over 11 and her system was closing down shadows were falling and death's night was coming she was conscious and I read her the promises of Scripture I read to her how God's going to make all things new, and that it doesn't depend upon our righteousness. But there was another man who in his last moment said, Lord, remember me, and he said, I will. And I prayed with her, and a little later she died, but she didn't go out in darkness. Somebody said, I don't want to go home in the dark. Turn the lights on. And she went home in the light. I buried her last Thursday. And to a congregation which was largely unbelieving. I could tell. I told them the story of Lazarus. How he was raised from the dead. How Jesus said our friend Lazarus is sleeping. But I'm going there to wake him up. And then I read of Mary's encounter in The encounter of Martha with Jesus. Why weren't you there, Lord? If you'd come, He wouldn't have died. And then Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, yet he will live. Do you believe this, he said. And then the Bible says he came to the tomb and a great stone was upon it. And he said, roll away the stone. And then he lifted up his eyes to his father and said, Father, I know that you've heard me. But I say these things because of the people who stand near me, that he said in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And the Lord said, loose him and let him go. I said to the people, this lady, because she turned to Christ in penitence, is going to be with Jesus in paradise. I tell you, my friend, what a message, what a hope. And then on Wednesday night, we had a great night on Wednesday night. Some of my friends and I went to Alice Stone's home, and we had a party with God. And while we were there, we sang some songs around the piano. There's nothing better than singing with a bunch of your friends around a big piano. And we stood there, and we sang for a long, long time. Elder Matiko entertained us with some songs from Russia, and we just had a good time praising the Lord. And my mind went back to some months ago, more than a year ago, when Igor, my Russian translator, was with me in that home. And Igor sat down one evening at that grand piano in Bob and Alice's home and he played some old melodies and he sang with his big rich russian baritone it's only igor can sing god bless him and standing beside igor as he was singing was bob stone playing the double bass he used to sit right here in church what a church member His face was always shining with glory. It didn't matter how bad the preacher was that day. Bob just loved it. And as I would preach, he would often cry. Never would he say a negative word. Alice misses him tremendously. Alice, you're going to see Bob again. Mm -hmm. And he's going to be the young Bob. And... (laughs) And you're going to be a young Alice <laughs> and when we see him again, folks, he's going to be playing a double bass in the great chorus up in in heaven. Listen, if you believe truly in Christ, the grief can go of course there's grief, of course, Alice is grieving, she 's going to grieve, but the Bible says, "We sorrow not." as others that have no hope. I've taken funerals in Australia where we've had people from the Solomon Islands there. I had five churches one year and two of those churches were the fuzzy-wuzzy angels from the Solomon Islands who befriended our soldiers in the Second World War. And they come from a pagan cannibalistic society. Seventy, eighty years ago, they ate their enemies. And I had two congregations of them, the finest people in the world. One of their elders was Clary Panola, who had the face of an angel. As the poet said, of the fuzzy-wuzzy angels of the Owen Stanley track, the look upon their faces makes you think that Christ was black, bringing back the wounded soldiers just as steady as a hearse. And when I would take us a, a funeral service for my black brothers from the Solomon Islands, once upon a time during their services in their heathen state, they would wail, they would wail. And I've heard the heathen wail, but not in my churches, because we've got nothing to wail about. We have a blessed, wonderful hope. Are you a person who worries? Do you have fear in your life? These are some of the most destructive emotions that are known to the human race. If you take the promises of God and read those promises, even if you are a chronic worrier, you'll become instead God's warrior. Jesus on one occasion said fear not little flock it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom last night I took my Strong's concordance and I looked up fear pages on fear our hearts are naturally filled with fear Jesus said let not your hearts be troubled you believe in God believe also in me my favorite psalm and yours too i'm sure is psalm 23 where david says even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me listen if you take the promises of god and let them fill your heart you will not be filled with fear I have been, and I thank God for this, in some scary circumstances, more than most. And I've enjoyed those scary circumstances. I'll never forget, and I tell this to the folks who are new here today, and we have visitors all the time. When I was in Baghdad some time back, I was arrested for taking pictures of Saddam's palace. It was worth being arrested (laughs) just to do it. I was arrested and then 11 o'clock one night the Iraqi army officers came to me bundled me in a car and drove me for an hour around the streets of Baghdad and took me in, into a place to interrogate me but I was not afraid because he was with me his presence was with me his staff consoled me when I was in Africa in a I was asked to go out to the television center and do a program and then I found it was it was a setup and when I got out there a man who hated the Christian church and who had been a terrorist for many many years had a group of soldiers come and put guns in my back and marched me down the road as the sun went down in an african jungle But I wasn't afraid because he was with me. And he drove along beside me in a Peugeot car and cursed me as I went down the road. And I wondered, is this going to be it? Will my body be in the morning in a ditch beside this road? But as we went down the road and he stopped following us, the soldiers stopped put their guns down, and came and put their arms around me, hugged me. They said, Pastor Carter, we come to your meetings. (laughs) 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 Then they took me to a, a post where other soldiers were, and they got on the phone, and the government sent a limousine and picked me up and took me in style to the meeting. My friend, you can never be placed in a situation where fear will beat you if you have God. You don't need to be afraid of what people can do. I have received, I guess more threats than all of you put together and I still get threats I still get them but my friend though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil whatever is confronting you today my friend you need fear no evil when God is with you I tell you I had a young doctor call me a little while back because she's been going through a terrible time of trouble she cried over the phone I said to her my beloved sister I want you to do something you prescribe pills I'm going to prescribe promises and my promises are better than your pills they must be better or else your pills would be working wouldn't they and they're not I said when we get off the phone I want you to do this go get your Bible And Turn to the book of Hebrews and read Hebrews 11 where it tells us the mighty things that God has done for people when they have faith. Listen to me. I don't care who has it in for you. Who is out to get you? Who wants to destroy you? Who wants to harass you? If God be for us, who can be against us, I ask you. My friend, let the anger go, let the sorrow go, let the hate go, let the fear go, let the worry go, let the grief go. And I tell you, my friend, let the guilt go. Let the guilt go. What am I talking about? There's nothing worse than a guilty conscience. When a person, it must be a terrible thing, when you lie down at night, to think that if you died that night, you'd wake up in the second resurrection. There's nothing worse than a nagging, guilty conscience. But you know, there's hope for you and me because there's nobody too bad for the forgiving grace of God. I want to show you a story in the Bible about the worst man who ever lived, the worst man who ever lived. Would you come over here to 1 Kings 21? This is almost too good to believe, my friend, but we're going to read it just the same. 1 Kings 21, you know who this man is? This is Ahab. At least up to that time, there was no man worse than Ahab. 1 Kings 21, verse 25 first kings 21 25 please notice it in your bibles here we go there was never a man like ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the lord urged on by jezebel his wife so he was bad but the bible says he had a bad wife behind every good man there's a good woman and maybe behind every bad man It may be a lady who is not quite so good as she ought to be. This was true with Ahab. There was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. When Ahab heard these things, these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. Now, if God, my friend, had turned away the disaster, it's because God had done something. You know what God had done? God had forgiven him. He was the worst man in the history of Israel. If ever a man, my friend, should have had a guilty conscience, it was Ahab. He was the biggest sinner in the history of the world. There was no person like him. And the Bible says that the prophet came to him and said, You're the man. And the Bible says the word of God got into Ahab's heart and he repented of his sin. And the Bible says God forgave him. Listen. If God can forgive Ahab, is there hope for you? Is there hope for me? I want you to think of the worst person that you know. If that person will hear the word of God and repent and go softly, there's mercy. The news for you today, my friend, there's forgiveness for every one of our sins if we come to Christ in repentance. My heart was thrilled as I watched on CNN some weeks back and I saw that lady who had become a born-again Christian over there in Texas and she was about to be executed by lethal injection you know the woman when she was a girl high on drugs she committed a terrible crime she committed murder and they appealed to the governor and the governor said the law must take its place you see my friend A person can be forgiven, but forgiveness does not always stop the consequences. Remember this. There's a price to be paid for sin. Thank God that on the cross Jesus paid it for us. But the message came to that woman and she gave her life to God. As I watched her on television, I was impressed by the glory I saw in her face she went to the execution chamber but she's going to be with christ in paradise because she died with amazing grace amazing grace we're here today not to talk about grace we're here today to talk about amazing grace how sweet the sound the saved a wretch like me and you do you ever suffer from this Mm mm-hmm thrust hmm I don't even like the word frustration does anybody here suffer from frustration do you sometimes wonder why so many things go wrong and you've got a plan and you're working hard and you're praying hard and you're doing all you can and doors are closing frustration saps the energy I want you to come here to a text Come over here to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, dear friend. A beautiful text. Romans 8, 28, Paul says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? My friend, listen to this. Please listen. God has a perfect plan and a perfect purpose for every person. Whatever happens to us in this life, if we are in the will of God, is working for our good. For those who are new here in this church, let me tell you something. We ran a large series of meetings at the Shrine Auditorium in 1990. I won't go into the details of the problems. But we could not find a place to take the new members. Every door was closed. And therefore, we came to this building. And because we started this new congregation, the Community Adventist Fellowship, God put it into the hearts of this congregation to reach out to the world. Now they have an international television ministry that is reaching millions in this country and in Russia and which has become the major foreign missionary organization in the ex-Soviet Union because God closed doors and we could not understand it. You see, God has a bigger plan than ours. Then in 1991, I hired the Kremlin for a great series of meetings because the Russian pastors asked me to do so. And I will not give you the details, but somehow it was just taken out of our hands. And I was sent to a place of obscurity by the name of Gorky, where they sent dissidents. <laughs> Like Sakharov, John Carter was sent to the same place. And some thought, we'll never hear of him again. But in Gorky, God worked miracles such as Russia had never seen. And we had the largest audiences and the largest baptisms in a thousand years of Russian history. Anything God does, my friend, anything God does is better than our plans. We should not have frustration. And as we forgive our enemies and as the anger goes and as the hate goes, then, my friend, the river of life with all the power in the world, the power of God, the power of Jesus Christ, this great power, my friend, sweeps into the life and the dam is gone. And a person is a new person. He has joy in his life. He has peace, he has happiness, and the sorrow and the depression go. Last Wednesday night, I had a good time. The people stood around, we sang, we laughed. You need to laugh a lot. God gave us the gift of laughter. And we laughed, and we sang, and we praised the Lord. And the Bible talks in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8 about a glorious joy. I want to tell you folks, when we get together and we praise the Lord, we don't need alcohol. We don't need a false stimulus because we have the stimulation of the Spirit of God. I want to tell you today something. If you will sing in praise and memorize the texts of Scripture, you will become a brand new person. You will be a new you. I'm going to do something now that's going to bless you. I'm going to say a prayer of emptying and then a prayer of filling. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Dear God, today I open my heart to you. Take out of my heart hate, anger, resentment, an unforgiving spirit, despair, fear, frustration, and sorrow. Now fill my heart with love, forgiveness, hope, faith, peace, joy, power to cope, and the life more abundant. Thank you for hearing my prayer this day. I rejoice in this new abundant life and I thank you in Jesus' name, amen.